T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Last year's holiday season was like no other. Illinois was trying to emerge from a long shutdown because of COVID-19 and the resulting economic devastation, and new vaccines presented hope. The pressures were ratcheted up for philanthropic organizations, but this year, the metropolitan area is working to bounce back, and all eyes are on this season of giving. Well, we're going to take a look. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. year for more than a decade, we've looked at the atmosphere for charitable giving and how social service groups and philanthropies have been meeting the challenges of those in need. We've not really seen the need go down at all, but every year we see people and organizations stepping up and 2021's no exception. United Way of Metropolitan Chicago, the uh, philanthropic umbrella organization, has been our partner in these programs from the very beginning. And I'm happy to say that Sean Garrett, the current president and CEO, is back with us again. Uh, he's been with the group since 2018. And we like to recall that this at issue program was one of the first things he did after taking office. And as they say, he crushed it. Uh, and this is his fourth go around. So, uh, yeah, he'll be he'll be probably hosting it by next year. Uh, we are also joined this year by Eric Smith, vice chairman at BMO Harris Bank. That institution has been a major partner with United Way in recovery efforts in the Chicago area. And we're also going to hear from Jamila Trimuel, the founder and co and CEO, I should say, of Ladies of Virtue and one of the participants in United Way's Neighborhood Equity Fund. Uh, I thank all three of you for joining me. Uh, this discussion is being conducted via Zoom conferencing, and Sean Garrett, it's great to see you again. Um, and I want to uh, start us off by giving us a you giving us a view of the landscape this year. I mean, the good news, I suppose, is that there's federal money out there to help with the recovery from the pandemic. But the bad news is that there are many people in worse shape than ever because of the uh, economic upheaval because of the pandemic. So. Paint the picture for us of what we're seeing out there as we uh, we look around for who needs help and who's there to help. Absolutely. Well, first of all, Craig, thanks for having us. We're so excited to be here with you and so grateful for um, the others to be able to join us today as well, because they're going to have amazing stories to tell you. Um, you know, when we think about what is happening in our community, it is uh, in some senses two amazing but challenging stories. Um, one is there there is genuinely really strong philanthropic giving. 
people have dug deeply to support one another. Um, I think there's no better story than right after uh, we did this episode a year ago, Craig, we announced the largest gift in our history, a $25 million commitment from Mackenzie Scott. And when Mackenzie Scott announced her commitment, she referenced the giving of a young woman on the west side of Chicago who brought together her friends and family to each raise a little bit of money to support others in a difficult time of need. And what Ms. Scott wrote in her letter was, if someone can do everything they could do, what should those like Mackenzie Scott do who had immense resources and how could she make that kind of commitment? And so she was able to make a commitment of you know $3 billion and we were so lucky to to receive some of that investment here in Chicago, right? So we see there's some great generosity that's taking place. And yet we also see people are struggling and struggling in disproportionate ways. The same communities that were hardest hit during the last recession are the communities that had the highest instances of COVID. They're the communities that have had the highest um, uh, challenges in terms of getting back to work. Those are communities that are predominantly black and brown. Um, and they're communities that are tired. Um, and, and when I say tired, I, I mean folks that live in the community, but also folks that work there. Um, our nonprofit partners are doing unbelievable work, and I'm so excited you've got one of them who's going to talk about their experience. But folks are, are doing that against all odds right now, and they're doing it without enormous resources. They're doing it in times that, you know, when some like we are today have got to be remote, they were in person. They were facing these challenges every single day. And so um, I'm really encouraged and excited about the philanthropy we've seen in community, the generosity we've seen, the caring of one another, but the challenges are very real. Um, and we know that that is very real. And we're just excited that they're amazing partners uh, who are taking action to make sure that this is the recovery that occurs that doesn't take us back to where we once were, but it actually charts a new course forward uh, that really is focused on an equitable recovery uh, neighborhood by neighborhood across our region. And we are going to talk a lot about that this half hour. But uh, Sean, we talked about this last year. United Way was literally baked into the city of Chicago's recovery plans. Um, as you said, it's all been about partnerships, but how, uh, how has that been going? You know, we're really encouraged. Um, when we view the recovery, we think there are three things that need to happen. One is philanthropy needs to continue to give and to trust the nonprofit partners who are working incredibly hard neighborhood and by neighborhood across our region. And we're seeing that. We're seeing individuals give, we're seeing companies give, we're seeing foundations give. The second thing, though, we think needs to happen is businesses really thinking differently about how their economic assets, how they as a business can think differently about partnering in neighborhoods. And I can't be more excited to have Eric here today to talk about what they're doing at BMO and the, the ways that they and other companies are really taking that challenge on to think differently. And then the third is we need the public sector because the reality is the public sector brings great resources, but we need to do all three of those things in concert. And what the pandemic forced us to do is to all get on the same page, to all get on the same page and recognize that we face this challenge we face a challenge that has been in existence for years. As I've said often, it made, made the invisible visible. But now that it's visible, what are we going to do and how are we going to work together so that we build back stronger and more equitably neighborhood by neighborhood? Um, but if we do those three things, we actually can do it. And we're seeing excitement in places like Austin and places like South Chicago and Auburn Gresham where there are multiple projects. We had one uh, one week a couple of weeks ago where we had two groundbreaking ceremonies in Austin for new community facilities that were community-driven and community-based. 
like that's really exciting and it's taking place because those three kind of pillars if you will the philanthropic sector the private sector and the public sector are truly working hand in hand and nonprofit leaders are stepping up and being trusted by both the community and the investors to say help us move forward and we're seeing that uh, in spades all across the region and let's bring eric smith into this conversation uh, he helps uh, BMO Harris Bank develop strategies and products, and he handles areas like government and community affairs and diversity and inclusion. He joined BMO Harris in January of 2020. He was at uh, Fifth Third Bank before that. And and welcome. Uh, BMO's been in this recovery effort from the beginning as well, and with lots of financial resources. Uh, talk about the role that BMO has been playing in getting us out of where we were. Well, Craig, it's a pleasure to be here with you and uh, with the other distinguished guests. And this is a very important conversation that uh, I'm excited to, to discuss as, as a group. Um, I think one of the things that has been a hallmark for Chicago uh, is the public-private partnerships that have existed uh, that have allowed for the types of investment and collaboration uh, to make our city uh, a thriving city. And through this ch uh, challenging uh, past 18 months or so, I think it has shined a bright light on many of the underlying challenges that were really unmasked by the COVID uh, crisis. Um, I think for us, when we saw the disparate impact of COVID on the black and brown community, um, followed by the tragic killing of George Floyd, it was an awakening for many. And we saw a need to focus on the racial wealth gap. Um, and when I talk about the racial wealth gap, it really comes down to, I think, two very uh, important variables. One is just looking at the average uh, wealth for a white family, which is around $170,000, versus the average wealth for a typical black family, which is only about $17,000. And then I, I kind of think about what Sean Garrett regularly talks about as part of the United Way's uh, mission. And that's ensuring that the zip code that a child is born into should not dictate his or her success and their future and their place in life. So as a result of sort of the environment that we've been in, we focused here at BMO on really what is our, our mission uh, as, as a bank, and that's to boldly grow the good and business in life. And so I worked with our leadership team to help launch a new initiative called BMO Empower, uh, which is a $5 billion five-year commitment to making sure that we could provide increased access to capital um, over the five-year period to make sure that we could focus on an inclusive economic recovery. That $5 billion is focused on supporting small businesses uh, with a specific uh, and targeted outreach to Black, Latinx, and women-owned businesses. Also looking at ways that we can support community development and revitalization and that's something that I think is extremely important for us as we think about building back our economy and ensuring that we address some of the structural barriers and systemic racism and areas that have existed before. So we've also been very proud to partner with United Way. Um, United Way is an organization that offers that sort of comprehensive community-led uh, leadership that we believe is important to community revitalization, focusing on areas such as housing, uh, education, uh, job creation. Um, those are the things that really support a thriving economy. And I truly believe that as a bank, 
we're only going to be as strong as the communities that we serve. And so it's through these types of partnerships and initiatives that allow us to work together on this type of economic recovery. Um, and let's talk a little bit about uh, getting down to that neighborhood level. The United Way uh, Neighborhood Network is something that actually we've talked about uh, even before the, uh, the pandemic crisis, but we've been talking about these things from the uh, 10,000 foot and 5,000 foot levels. Let's get Jamila Trimuel uh, in on this to tell us what this looks like from the street level. Uh, Jamila, tell us about Ladies of Virtue and how you came to start this organization and, and what it does. Yeah, so thank you again for having me, Craig. Uh, Ladies of Virtue is all about empowering girls, specifically Black girls across the Chicagoland area to become confident and purpose-driven leaders. Uh, we do that in three ways, character development, career readiness, and civic engagement. We serve girls ages 9 to 18, and then we continue to mentor and support them even six years after they graduate from high school. Uh, but in terms of what made me start Ladies of Virtue, I'm actually born and raised on the South Side of Chicago, a South Shore community to be exact. And in my home, my dad used to always say, you're an African girl, you could do anything you put your mind to. Uh, and even though my parents divorced when I was five, the one thing that remained consistent in both households was that they believed in my dreams. They believed in me overcoming any obstacles that stood in my way. You know, I remember when I was five, you know, the, cop the topic of college and goal setting and all of that coming up. And so, uh, but I realized at an early age, as I was preparing for life after high school, you know, talking to my friends in the community um, as a junior, senior year in high school, and I noticed that some of my friends did not have those same plans. They did not have plans after high school. And so uh, once I went to college at University of Illinois I, and I went back home, I, I saw how some of my friends' lives took a downward turn. And then that's when I became a mentor on, on the college campus as my sophomore year. And I have not looked back since. It's been 20 years of mentoring, <laughs> 10 years of running Ladies of Virtue. Uh, but I, I really look at mentoring as part of my life's calling. So tell me how United Way comes into the picture for uh, basically a, a hands-on street-level uh, mm -hmm. group like yours. Uh, how does that start to evolve and, and grow? Oh, absolutely. So I think as you think about some of the challenges from the ground level, a grassroots nonprofit organization, uh, oftentimes we lack the social capital. You know, we don't have uh, big name people on our boards who can just, you know, pick up the phone and give us a million dollar donation. Right. Um, you know, you think about even the lack of, of funding. Uh, there was some recent research that came out by Echo and Green that stated that black women um, even when compared to nonprofit organizations that are very similar, Black women receive less funding as, as compared to our Black um, men, as compared to white men and white women, Black women receive the, less, the least amount of funding. And so when you think about that, um, you know, I realized early on my career was in strategic planning. So I knew how to write a strategic plan. I did not know how to fund it. <laughs> so when I went full time, I realized I need some help. And thank God, you know, for the United Neighborhood Equity Fund. Um, one thing I love about the program is that, you know, we get a chance to build relationships with 
other nonprofits across the city, um, but also potential funders. Uh, we receive capacity building uh, workshops on fundraising, strategic planning, um, board developments. But I think one of the critical components is receiving the, the two-year commitment of $50,000 as well. So I've participated in other programs, webinars, conferences, uh, you know, similar type of programs that don't come with the funding. So you learn all of this information and it's like, well, how am I supposed to implement it without <laughs> the funds? And so that's what I really, truly appreciate you know, by, by participating in this program is that we actually receive the knowledge within the funding to go and implement. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm Craig Delamore, and we are looking at the state of philanthropy as Chicagoland tries to emerge from the coronavirus pandemic and its economic as well as health effects. Uh, and my guests are Sean Garrett, President and CEO of United Way of Metropolitan Chicago, Eric Smith, Vice Chair of BMO Harris Bank, and Jamila Trimuel, Founder and CEO of Ladies of Virtue, a United Way community partner. Uh, we do this program every year on the Sunday after Thanksgiving to highlight the work being done to help those in need. Uh, the idea for it was brought to us from a listener who worked for nonprofits during the recession more than a decade ago, Ruby Shucker suggested we focus on how charitable groups were faring. We did, and it turned out to be something we want to do every year. So once again, as I always do at this time of year, thank you, Ruby, for a gift that keeps on giving. But uh, now, um, both Sean and Eric, I want to talk about how we you make sure that the kinds of things that you are doing in these communities are of and you know of and by the communities as well as by the uh, the the people who have the money. Um, and Sean, do you want you can start us off. Sure. Um, you know, I, I almost pick up in many ways on what Jamila talked about is you know she's doing great work, right? And what what she's been through programs, she's had access to folks. But the question is like, how do you get connected? into the, what we often say, the mainstream of philanthropy where folks are writing checks because ultimately she needs resources. She needs resources to carry out. She's got the vision, she's got the plan, she's got the outcome, she's got the execution, but she needs resources. We saw this in spades during uh, the pandemic when we were making, we along with the Chicago Community Trust partner together, BIBA was a great funding partner um, and launched the, the Chicago COVID Fund. It raised $35 million. It funded a lot of big organizations who were doing amazing things but it also funded a lot of smaller, more grassroots organizations. Those organizations were incredibly trusted in neighborhoods because if you think about it during that time period, we were told not to go out. We were told not to go to the grocery store. We were told to stay home and people needed services. They needed resources. There were things coming their way, but were you gonna go to a stranger? No, you were gonna go to someone who you trusted, who had been in your life beforehand. These were these neighborhood-based grassroots organizations um, and they delivered. They delivered time and time again and we kept giving more and more resources. And I think that message stays true. You know, we're coming hopefully out of this pandemic and we're moving into a space where we wanna drive, you know, community progress and we are making progress, but it has to be driven by our community partners and the residents of that community. Um, so for us, that really governs our thinking. Uh, we work with what we call a community quarterback in each neighborhood who convenes a coalition of partners and together they set up what are often called quality of life plans these are plans for the vision of a neighborhood because each neighborhood is going to have a little different vision, different assets. We then follow that plan. We work with partners. We help provide capacity. We help provide support, but ultimately they drive it. All of our grants are unrestricted. 
to be able to say to our partners, you said you're going to follow the plan. That's what we're going to hold you accountable for. But ultimately, you choose which, how you're going to use it. Because if anyone knows how to what the future holds, they've got us beat. Right? The last year and a half taught us anything is we don't know what the future holds. But we do know when the community voice is at the table, great leaders are at the table, organizations will be successful and they'll get their outcomes. And so that's really helped drive our work. Um, and we have seen great success during the pandemic and in what we hopefully are coming out of this pandemic will continue to be community-led decision-making. Um, and that's something that we're very proud to be a part of. And you know, we have folks like Jamila at the table who are driving that uh, in her community. And, and Eric Smith, uh, tell me how you maintain the balance. Uh, you know, obviously uh, BMO isn't gonna say, we're investing half a million dollars in this, uh, this organization or, or this initiative and then walk away. How do you make sure that it is being used right, but still being driven by the people who are on the ground? I think it really comes down to uh, strong relationships. And that's why we value uh, the relationships that we have with community partners like United Way, uh, with Sean Garrett's uh, just outstanding leadership and with organizations uh, led by uh, folks like Jamila as well. Um, we recognize that through a crisis like this that you can't simply manage your way through it by having a bank that's just simply lending. There has to be strong philanthropic support as well. And so that's how it gives our uh, employees an opportunity to participate and as a bank for us to participate. But just like we look at um, sort of our business results by measuring outcomes, we do the same thing as we think about the investments that we make with United Way and looking specifically about the direct impact that they're having in the community and looking at the metrics of how it's changing the lives and the communities that um, those investments are being made in. Um, our team, for instance, um, every fall, we come together uh, to begin our United Way employee giving campaign. And I'm really excited to share that over the last uh, couple of years, we've had over 90% participation of our 42,000 employees across our US footprint that has allowed us to give roughly $20 million annually to United Way. Um, likewise, we've had a longstanding relationship with uh, United Way where we came in back in 2014 as one of the cornerstone investors in United Way's uh, Neighborhood Networks uh, Initiative which again is a very community oriented um, approach to supporting these neighborhoods. And I think when you're looking specifically at metrics and at outcomes, you're looking at, is the job gap closing in those communities? Are we seeing improvements in terms of housing and education? Are we seeing communities coming back to live in these neighborhoods and become vibrant once again? Um, we also look at metrics that are gonna be very much so a comprehensive approach and not just one-off strategies. So we look for partnerships with our elected officials. Uh, we were really excited that the mayor announced her Invest Southwest initiative two years ago, and that BMO had an opportunity to step up as the first corporate partner with a $10 million gift, um, which is primarily focused on the Austin community, where we feel that there is an important need for us to be able to be strategic and going deep into that community. And we're really pleased with the outcomes that we're seeing there that show the steady progress. It allowed us to make another million dollar gift just a few months ago to an organization called Build Chicago that's hoping, helping to focus on youth violence prevention. So those are opportunities that we have as corporate partners to step in. 
um, to just provide a little bit of support for the tremendous work that organizations like United Way help to lead uh, in our city, and not only here in Chicago, but, but nationally as well. And Jamila Trimule, uh, let's talk about the future, because now you're getting the kind of support and the kind of, uh, of, of resources that the organization has wanted. What, where, do, where do Ladies of Virtue go from here? What does this do? What does it allow you to do that you couldn't do before? What, you know, what's on the horizon now for your organization? Oh, yes, absolutely. So we just concluded um, a strategic planning process this year, actually, because to your point, you know, as we're coming out of the pandemic and Sean kind of alluded to it before in terms of really supporting, you know, neighborhood, the, the people that are uh, living in the community in which we serve, they're reaching out to us, right? So we had to distribute um, laptops to all of our students who needed them. We ended up giving out over 55 laptops, desks, you know, chairs, um, activity kits because they were at home isolated, in, um, you know, due to the pandemic and so forth. And so we really took this last year and a half to, to focus on um, meeting the needs of our young people and their families. And so now kind of coming out of the, the pandemic and so at least some of the emergent needs that, that took place, we really wanted to focus on what the future holds. And one of the good thing that came out of the pandemic was that we saw that our, we have a strong need for it to enhance our technology. We actually saw some of our students leave Chicago because of um, the violence that took place. And we don't have a, you know, a way to kind of continue that because now our programs have went in person now. And so now we're looking at enhancing our technology. So our girls who, have to, you know, who move away can still stay in contact and connected to Ladies of Virtue. We're looking to enhance our data platforms uh, because we want to make sure that we can track our girls for years to come, especially those girls that we're continuing to mentor and support six years after graduating from high school. We want to enhance our data platform as well. And we also want to hire full-time staff. I think that's another challenge that uh, grassroots organizations face. You know, a lot of times I hear the compliment, uh, oh, you know how to make a dollar out of 50 cent. Well, I don't want to make a dollar out of 50 cent anymore. I want to be fully funded. I want to hire full-time staff instead of, you know, asking, oh, can you work a few hours for me? I'll pay you a stipend, you know? And so we just hired a second full-time person this year because of those, those recent, um, the influx of, of donations that came in because of the social justice initiatives and so forth. But now I'm looking for sustainability so that we can grow and, and be, uh, become a larger sustainable organization in the future. And uh, Sean Garrett, uh... Uh, and probably going to, well, I don't know if we're going to end this on you, but I know we are uh, close to the end. Um, let's talk about what the future holds and also how we ensure that the equity, that word that keeps coming up uh, in public policy more and more these days, how that is preserved as things get better, as more resources are made available. Yeah, so it's awesome to be able to answer this question right after Jamel talks about what she's trying to do, because you heard sustainability, you heard need for investment, you heard I don't want to turn 50 cents into a dollar, I want it funded so I can execute the work. We have had a standard of execute the work and we're going to hold you accountable and yet we're going to provide you half the resources, right? That That is the way this has operated in the sector for a long time. 
Um, and that has to change and we're seeing it. One of the reasons we launched the United Neighborhoods Equity Fund um, was because there are literally hundreds of ladies of virtue in terms of organizations who are doing incredible work. They're trusted, they're, they're getting results, and yet they're doing it entirely volunteer, they're doing it with a minimal budget, they're doing it without any recognition. And then we as United Way have the opportunity to help connect them so yes, provide some capacity building, but these are folks that are, you know, they're choosing me. Like I'll, I'll get capacity building from them because they're doing amazing work as well, right? This is a partnership. We'll give them some resources, but we also want their work to be highlighted so that more of that funding comes. Like we want to change um, the, the way that funding is done in community from the public sector and the private sector in the same way that Eric and BMO are doing within the, the private sector, you know, in, in terms of what the bank is doing and investing in black and brown led businesses and black and brown led neighborhoods. We want to do the same thing in the nonprofit sector. I don't want to hear another study that talks about how black women led organizations receive the least amount of funding. Black women, black women are incredible leaders in our community who should be funded at the exact same level, if not more, because they're getting better results, right? That's where I think we're going to see those changes. And one of the things we're really excited about United Way is we have lots of stories now and lots of examples to show that this is working, to show that when folks have made investments in Austin, more investments followed and the outcomes have continued. When we made investments in places like Ladies of Virtue, there are others who are going to follow we're going to show that we can continue to grow it. And that's how we change it. We can't overnight necessarily change the inequities of funding that have existed, just like our, our, our markets can't change the inequities of funding that have existed in neighborhoods. But we can, when we focus on it, we keep that as a metric we hold ourselves accountable to, and we lift up the great work that's taking place. And so, you know, we're really honored to call Jamila our partner, to call Eric and BMO our partner, because they are doing the work in community. Um, what BMO and Eric has done through the Empower Initiative is amazing. You know, what Ladies of Virtue is doing and to be, a, as we joke sometimes of things like a 10 year overnight success, right? We're, we're, we wanna keep going. You've been working really, really hard, but let's keep going. I'd like to thank Jamila Trimule, the founder of Ladies of Virtue, Eric Smith, vice chair of BMO Harris Bank and Sean Garrett the dynamic CEO of United Way of Metropolitan Chicago for spending the time with us. To our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at wbbmnewsradio.com. There is a link on the homepage. You can also find our podcast on odyssey.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. 
We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.